In this week's episode of Studio Inter, we'll be discussing the win against Bologna, the Champions League squad, three-man versus four-man defense, this week's Moji, Moratti and Frog, and much, much more. Everything here on Studio Inter, on elsempreinter.com. Attenzione, Ronaldo salta anche Marchegiani e mette dentro 3-0. Andiamo, il principe entra in aria, è solo, il tiro, è gol, è gol, è gol, è gol, è gol! Torna Ronaldo a battere questo calcio di punizione molto lungo per Zamorano che gira bene al centro, attenzione, il destro, violentissimo! È lo spettacolare gol da parte di Zanetti! La prima squadra che vince qua è la nostra Inter! L'Inter vince! E Dillo, campione d'Europa! Campione d'Europa! Campione d'Europa! Campione d'Europa! Campione d'Europa! I più forti siamo noi! Benvenuti, bentornati to another edition of Studio Inter. I am your host, Nima Tavalli Ruzzari, welcoming you to another show. Uh, we're sorry that we were away last week, but I was violently ill um, and couldn't record. I could barely talk, so I'm terribly sorry. But we're back now. We're, we're, we're back. We're healthy, and we've, got a, we've just had our first three points on the weekend against Bologna. And joining me to discuss this is our very good friend uh, the is uh, a Serie A commentator for Infront Sports you know his voice when you hear it welcome to Studio Inter again Mr Marco Palmieri hello hello Nima thanks uh, for inviting me great to be here and I'm very glad that you're feeling a lot better this week mate <laughs> thanks mate thanks mate uh, right and we are also joined uh, uh, for the first time this season our good friend from Italy he is a match commentator for ilmerolazzurro.com uh, I Welcome, welcome back, Mr. Fulvio Santucci. Hello, Nima. Hello, everyone. It's good to be here again, and it's good to be back into the Italian Championship, the Serie A. Absolutely. Uh, I've, missed, I've missed the Serie A like hell. Right, and we are also joined by our regular, uh, the, the, our regular panelist who does all the previews for us on Semper Inter, Mr. Mohamed Massa. Welcome. Hi. Hi, everyone. Good to be back. Thanks. <laughs> And we're also joined, uh, last but not least, uh, by our uh, by our very own uh, Semprinter and Serpentina Serpents of Madonina's own Mr. Will Beckman. Good evening. Glad to see you're fighting fit again, Nima. <laughs> yeah, I was I was not well last week. I'm really sorry about that. Let's not linger too much about that. Um, let's go into uh, things that are much more nicer to talk about, namely the fact that Inter took their first win of the season. Uh, again, three three matches into the Serie A season uh, against Bologna away uh, in what turned out to be a rather emphatic and clear win um, after goals from Nainggolan, uh, Kandreva of all people, and also Ivan Perisic. Um, Marco, uh, your colleague, Mr. Richard Whittle, I think, was commenting this game. Um, so, uh, but I, did you? What are your thoughts when you were when you looking when you were watching the game about how Inter performed? Did you, did you think it was a three 0 was a little bit too too much? Was or are numbers that maybe flatter Inter? Or what are your thoughts? Um, yeah, no, I did watch the game. Um, I thought it was uh, an entertaining match in the end. Actually, I thought Bologna who have not started well at all this season, uh, really uh, needed to turn their season around and uh, they failed to do so, I think. They weren't very impressive um, and you know, Inzaghi's got a lot of work to do there. But, um, but Inter, you know, <laughs> the main difference with their match this weekend was obviously Rajan Angolan. Um, he is uh, the signing that uh, is... I think, going to turn into season around. It's a shame that he was um, missing the first two matches. And uh, I don't know if it's a bit of a coincidence that it was uh, his uh, first match back and it was the first match that Icardi didn't play in but um, and, and just happens to be the first win of the season. But uh, Inter definitely have a superstar in Raja Nangolan and uh, he definitely turned this the match around for them. Couldn't agree more. Um, Mo, do you have any questions for Marco? Yeah, uh, Marco. So, um, I mean, we, we saw a pretty good uh, half last week from Inter in the first half against Colino. We saw uh, a very um, sterile Inter against Sassuolo. And again, we saw a very sterile Inter against Bologna in the first half this week. 
And I, I couldn't help but like the striking resemblance between the side of last year in those dark months uh, until Rafinha really came into the side. Um, what is it? What is it about about Inter that makes the side, the current Spalletti side, so prone to this similar pattern of play, where uh, with Nangolan, without Nangolan, we're still uh, culpable to being sterile going forward. What, what do you reckon it is? Um, I don't know about sterile going forward. I think they just really need to learn to play for 90 minutes because it was obvious um, that uh, against Torino, you know, the first half, I don't think anybody had any uh, issues with the way that they played. They were dominant uh, and uh, Torino just were not, long, were not in it. And, and I guess against Bologna, as you alluded to, the first half performance wasn't great. But um, I think that just says a lot about Serie A in general, that you know, you're never going to find an easy opponent. Uh, and uh, Inter confronted two of their bogey teams in the first two rounds. And uh, Sassuolo were, were excellent against Inter. And they just hadn't really molded together. And Spalletti hadn't really found uh, uh, the key to success. I think in that first match and against uh, Torino, um, I think they just switched off. It didn't come out in the second half. It allowed Torino really to run right. And then in the end, they were kind of lucky to get away with a point. But, um, but you don't, I think, you don't th- think it's uh, symptomatic of uh, a, a certain uh, a certain something. A certain it's just it just like it's just uh, this is how the game the cookie crumbles in the game. It's not symptomatic of something within the squad or within the tactics of the current rendition of Inter? Um, I don't know. It's difficult to compare, like, last year's team and this year's team. I mean, because um, really there's been there's a, new, a lot of new faces. Um, and so, I mean, I, can, I know what you're alluding to. I know that there's always been a talk about how Inter have uh, just not – they haven't got that winning attitude and that confidence and they're so easy to, to, to break down mentally. And if there's a lot of pressure from the media or if, uh, or whatever it is, um, are they the anti-Juve? Are they, who are they? <laughs> um, what, what's expected of them as well? And this season, definitely, there's a lot expected from Inter. But, um, and, and last season, when they were doing so well, they, uh, I, I don't know, it was the match against Bologna when... Drew, that was their first uh, first time they lost points. And then after they did so well, um, I think against, uh, against Juventus, it all just uh, crumbled. Hmm. Right. Will, um, do you have anything you want to, ask, you want to bring up? Yeah, I wanted to ask Marco about um, something that I've been uh, sort of debating quite a lot in my, in, in my head since the transfer window closed, and that's this idea of um, a best eleven. Because I think what the it's been difficult really to work out what's what what to expect in terms of uh, starting lineups going forward this season. Because you know we've had players in the first few weeks that haven't been fit, or um, people coming back from the World Cup, um, and so Spalletti hasn't had a huge amount of choice. He's kind of had to just pick what he's what he's got and um, and adapt to that. Um, but, you know, last year we pretty much knew what team was going to go out every week simply because there were no options. This year um, there are more options, but I'm still wondering how all of these attacking players in particular are going to fit together. So I wanted to ask, do you think it's a problem that there's no clear best 11? Or, or do you think that there is uh, a clear sort of starting sort of... Um, a sort of a starting point from which Spalletti can rotate. Do you think there's an obvious way to fit all these players together, assuming everyone's fit and no one's suspended? Or will it just be sort of a, a, a constant rotation given all the games that we've got this season? Um, I, I would say that the latter. Um, I can't really see Spalletti following, say, like a Sarri model where he just sticks to his starting 11 the whole season and, you know, very rarely tinkers with it. I, can't see that he's going to be doing that much. I, I'm, I don't know. I think Spalletti would be a little bit worried about the number of uh, wingers and and you know players with the characteristics of Perisic, Kandreva, Keita, um, and I think he even used a Samoa in that role for a bit. <laughs> There's too many players. I think they're a little bit out wide. There's no one in 
real playmaker role. And because we hadn't seen it until this weekend when the player behind uh, the centre forward was um, Nangolan. And, and he just uh, was capable of pushing the team forward and, and helping out and distributing the ball. And, and really, you know, the, the man of experience, the real Serie A leader of this team. Um, and, and it was quite incredible for his first Serie A match for Inter. He, he managed to do that. So I think, going back to your question, Will, I think Spalletti is going to have to um, rotate his team around Nangolan. I just can't see any other player with his characteristics and his strength and his ability not just to score but also just to, you know, to, to, um, to help the team push forward and, and attack like uh, Nangolan has. Um, interesting. Um, Fulvio, do you have a point you want to bring up? Uh, yeah, why not? Um, yeah, I would like to. I would like to ask Marco. Hello, Marco. Ciao. Um, Hello. <laughs> about this. Uh, okay, to me, it was was a very uh, an ugly game practically in the in the first sixty minutes. I saw Bologna that was pretty locked up in their half, and uh, on the other side, uh, Inter struggled to to find some some ideas. Practically, they mm, we built some chances uh, on Bologna's mistake. And uh, I noticed that uh, when the situation was like this, uh, we start to play down the wings. And uh, the, quest, the issue was that uh, playing down the wings mean, mean cross, crosses inside the box, but Icardi was not there. There was Keita, that is definitely not, not the... Um, it's, not a, it's not a forward that, that can, can practically go, go with, a, with a header or something like that. So... Um, for me, it's not a coincidence that uh, um, Inter found uh, his first goal uh, playing in, in the center with short and quick passes, uh, with uh, all the um, with all the, the attack practically that uh, that move without the ball. Um, and uh, my my question uh, is about this: is about uh, this uh, kind of comfort zone in which Inter um, keep entering when it's not uh, able to. To find some uh, some room into into the game to, for chances to play down the wings, and it's something that is is predictable. And uh, I had the impression that it was exactly what Bologna expect um, in the um, in the in, in in their side. So, uh, do you think that Inter should dare something more um, into the season? Because um, you know, playing down the wings is something that was very. Um, uh, very, very utilized the last season, but uh, at some point became very predictable. Uh, so, do you, you think that uh, Inter needs to um, dare something more and uh, exit this comfort zone of playing down the wings? Um, I don't know. I think um, there is that option now with uh, Lautaro Martinez to be as a second striker. Maybe the temptation for Spalletti to to change formation and you know, as you suggest, maybe have somebody else in the middle and, you know, maybe not so, not rely so much on, on that predictability of the wings. I think last season, though, if you look at it, Icardi scored almost half of Inter's goals and, and that was primarily from excellent crosses from Perisic or Candreva or, or Rafinha coming in. And you know, I think that was what Spalletti was really happy about. He knew that he had a real centre-forward so with an incredible conversion rate. And, and so that kind of style of play was, uh, was you know, bearing fruit. So why would, he, why would he change that? This season, he's got a few more options. Um, but I don't know. Uh, I don't know how tempting he's going to be to change it. Um, you know, predictability uh, or not, I think if it's a... Uh, if it's um, paying dividends, it's a style of play that he's managed to, you know, to instruct his team to play well and to, to, to follow his style. I think um, it, it's it's not going to, and it also depends on the opponent that they're playing. I think, and, and we're going to see it when we when we find out how Inter really are when they take on Tottenham and and the big guns. I think the the, the draw is pretty favourable for Inter in, in Serie A, and so looking down. The line that I have too many tests. To, I don't have many, too, too many tests. Excuse me. Um, so that match against Tottenham is probably going to be the first real showcase of what you know the 
Inter is made of. And, and he may then you know, experiment a few times before that match to see what uh, formation he, uh, Spalletti, would like. But, um, but um, I don't know. I'm, I'm probably more uh, interested to see how well he can mould that 4-2-3-1 formation that he used last season with the new players and, and see how well a player like uh, uh, Nangolan and then you know, the new signing Versalico, Samoa, we'll see how, how they fit into that style of play as well. So I, I don't know about the predictability. I think um, teams, uh, um, if, if they follow the coach and they know the way that his style of play is, is then uh, they, you know, they can break down any opponent. Right. Um, you mentioned the Champions League there. I wanted to ask you a little bit about that because it was, uh, as, as predicted, uh, as expected, it was a really difficult Champions League group with PSV, Eindhoven, Tottenham and Barcelona. Um, how, how big do you think Inter's chances are of going through to the second round? Well, I think, uh, just looking at the results from yesterday, Tottenham losing a bit of a shock result. Um, um, I, I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't know. I look forward to seeing three excellent games at the San Siro. I can't say that much. Um, <laughs> but uh, but um, so definitely happy about that. Finally, Champions League comes back to Milan. And, and so uh, definitely happy. But um, I, I can't see why um, Inter can't think positive about this group. Uh, I, you know, and, and honestly, I don't think it's going to be too much of a disappointment if they come third either because they know that they've got Tottenham and, and Barcelona ahead of them. PSV, I assume that they, uh, they need to absolutely win at home and, and you know, do their best to get all three points uh, in, in Holland as well. But um, I, from the team's point of view, I think Spalletti would be absolutely delighted with the, the draw and, and it will, you know, I think it will give them not only the motivation to, to know how great it is to, to, to beat either Tottenham or Barcelona and, and really put themselves back in the, in the limelight as far as European football is concerned. But then, you know, the, I don't think it's going to be as uh, dramatic as it was with the De Bruyne in the, in the Europa League when they were absolutely outdone by some very poor opponents. And uh, so I think that, that was quite a, the last venture into Europe was so disastrous that... Um, and I'm sure players like Icardi um, will remember that very, well, not very fondly at all, but uh, <laughs> they'll, try to, they'll try to avoid that kind of circumstance as well. So I think uh, even a third place for Inter is, is positive. Um, before I let you go, I uh, just wanted to briefly ask you, from place six to one, uh, predict this year's Serie A and also the Capo Cannonieri. <laughs> After three matches, that's pretty cruel. Well, I, mean, I don't know. Come on. I mean, come on. <laughs> well, one of them's pretty easy. Yeah, one of them's pretty easy. Yeah. Come on. Uh, the Capo Cannonieri. Ah, uh, you think? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um, Definitely you're talking Catania. about. Uh, I was going to say Christoph Piontek, but, uh, you know, oh, yeah. he's scored every 34 minutes. He's. he's is, I was uh, trying to think of someone who'd scored loads in the first two weeks. And I don't think he'd scored the winner last week, the week before. Yeah, anyway, that would have been a better answer. He scored again yesterday. And who else? Uh, our former Inter player as well. Um, uh, what's his name? Marco Benassi. Benassi. Yeah. Benassi, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, who, who, so, come on, six to one. Come on. Okay. Not, not, not letting you uh, go. Not letting you uh, go. <laughs> who's going to come in the first six places? Is this yeah. what you're asking me yeah, to name, yeah. right? Yeah, six oh. to one. Um, oh, okay. Well, and then you're going to record this and you're going to come back. It's oh, <laughs> all ours already, all so we're all in this together. Yeah, exactly. We're all in this oh, together. Yeah. Interested to know what yours is, Will. So do you remember? <laughs> well, yeah. I pretty much just threw the six names up into the air and then read them out in the order they landed because I couldn't decide. Yeah. Nice. Um, okay, well, I'm going to go Sassuolo. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> um... And then I will put in uh, Lazio. And oh, wow. I think uh, Roma, Napoli, into Juve. Okay, so Milan, so Milan are seventh. Seven. Okay. No, I, I don't rate Milan. 
Okay. You can come back again. Yeah. <laughs> well, to be fair, given given uh, Squinty, the Sassuolo owner, being such a Milan fan, Milan kind of is in six in your top six. So I guess you know you could say that. Um, yeah. If uh, people want to follow you on Twitter, uh, what's where do they find you? What's your handle? Yeah, handle is Marco twenty seven M A R C O two seven. So I'd love to hear from everyone that listens in around the world. Um, thanks for thanks for inviting me, Nima. Once again, always is always a pleasure to be on such a great podcast. And all the best with sempreinter.com. Thank you very much, Marco. And uh, I'm I'm always so happy when it's you when you're commentating because I think you guys do an excellent job. You and the entire team, you and uh, Owen Nielsen and Richard Whittle and Paul Visca and all the rest of you. All of you are great. Keep up the good work. Thanks a lot, Nima. I'll pass on all the uh, uh, all the good words. Thanks. Take care. Ciao. Right. So I wanted to uh, let's um, continue uh, because I have a few things I wanted to discuss about uh, the Bologna, uh, this Bologna game. And for me, it was more an issue of um, this 4-2-3-1, I think is, I mean, we've seen interplay three-man defense in the first two matches. And I, uh, and I think that was kind of, or not maybe the first two matches, but against Torino, I, I'm not a big fan of the three-man defense. And to me, it felt like Inter played uh, against Bologna like a team that was comfortable, that was that a team that was playing, uh, that, that knew what they were supposed to do. And obviously, sure, the first half was, you know, was hardly champagne football, but Inter were in control. Uh, and I felt it was only a matter of time before they, where they broke the deadlock. Um, I do agree with what you said, Fulvio, that I think this is a game that Mauro Icardi would have loved to be a part of. Because I think these are the kinds of games where he's such a he's so he's so lethal. He just gets one shot and and he scores. Um, but I'm keen to hear what you guys think uh, about this three man versus four man defense. Uh, Fulvio, what are your thoughts? Uh, well, I think that's uh, um, okay. First thing, first thing first. I think that uh, Spalletti is um, um, is really waiting to to implement this uh, three man defense. I think that um, this is in in his mind since uh, since the first the day one of this season, and um, I think that uh, actually mm, it was okay. Uh, and the, the only thing is that um, uh, is, is that mm, how, how can I say? I think that was some problem of um, of form of athletic condition um, because. Uh, um, if you think about it, uh, I think that uh, uh, the match against Torino was perfect, uh, and Torino is, is a good team actually for the Serie A. Was perfect for the um, for the first 35 minutes and start to to fall apart practically when the um, the, the mid- midfielder uh, went out of condition. And I'm talking about Brozovic, uh, Vecino. Uh, so um, many people um, claimed about uh, the the needs of uh, of Paletti to um, uh, to to substitute of, of a substitution like Vecino Gagliardini because you know Gagliardini is very dynamic. So um, they can settle that. Uh, I don't think that um, um, makes mm, it makes a difference. Uh, a big difference, and I don't think that uh, this um, uh, this uh, this victory against Bologna was due to the um, uh, to the to the change of the um, um, of the um, of the tactic. I mean, uh, not only because uh, you cannot know um, about about your defense because practically defense was never um, was was never committed into this game, um, uh, even though Skriniar and De Frey went went well. Um, Focused uh, and uh, clean in their in their style of play, so went well. But uh, actually, Bologna was not a tough side. Um, so my um, my thought is that uh, we should continue with the four-man defense until our key players uh, are in perfect shape, and after that, we can start to implement the three-man defense. Even though I think that uh, uh, this is something that could happen twice into the same game, so you can start with four men. But you now have the players. You have only you had only the player uh, the player also last year. But uh, this year is different because you have a lot of uh, a lot of players that could play in different positions. So I think that uh, you can propose twice uh, this tactic into the same game. Um, but I think that uh, the team uh, at the moment uh, should play with a four-man defense. 
Uh, now we have the, the stop for the for the national teams, so time to play. Even though eleven players uh, will be away, um, sorry, time to train, not time to play. And um, something can be improved, but um, I think that uh, at least for the Serie A, the four-man team at the moment is better. And then probably in October or November will be different. While uh, I will try to to play with the three man defense into the Champions League, where the um, the plays mm, the game is more dynamic, uh, and uh, you need to you need to have a good rhythm. And uh, of course, the rhythm that uh, Inter had in Bologna for the, at least for the first half, uh, not for the first half, but at least for the first sixty minutes, is, is not acceptable into the Champions League. That is typically something that go really faster. That's a really interesting point. Uh, I think, uh, 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 yeah, uh, that's a really interesting to hear. Three-man defense. Has Nima disappeared? No, uh, sorry. Uh, yeah, no, I, um, I just said that I think that's really interesting because that's an interesting point you raised there, uh, Fulvio, because, yeah, why not? Three-man defense in the Champions League because it's a much more dynamic, obviously, because Barcelona and, uh, all the, uh, and Tottenham will not play like Bologna. They will obviously go for the win. So why not? I think that's a really interesting point. Um, Mo, what do you think? Are you are you also uh, where are you on the fence on this three man versus four man defense? Mo, are you there? Okay. Um, Will, oh, can you hear me? Oh, now I can, can you hear me? Now I can hear you. Okay, yeah, I must have had it on mute by mistake. Sorry. Okay, okay no. Sorry, yeah. Okay, hang on. Let me ask you again because I need yeah. to edit this part out. Okay. Uh, Mo, where are you on the on the fence regarding this three-man, four-man defense? Look, as a general rule, I'm not a big fan of this uh, three-man defense. Uh, generally, I, I, it's a it's a personality thing. It, it, it reminds me of old Egyptian three-five-two uh, uh, football that was generally quite uh, <laughs> locked down, boring, you know. So, but I also recognize that three-man defense is is like Fulvio said in in its new shape uh, something that can be very very dynamic and, and liberating and, and tactically a bit more malleable it gives the rest of the uh, non-defensive players more uh, more options and gives the defenders a bit a bigger role to play in, in, in build up what I like about it for the most part in the particular case of inter is going back to what we discussed with Marco earlier and this almost natural reversion to wide play uh, when when all else fails, just spread out wide and cross in. When you play a three-man defense, the wing backs are already so wide, it forces the front line to play narrow, and it actually squeezes Perisic and you know Politano or Canveva or whoever is on the right flank in further further closer to to, to Icardi. So it gives us it would give us this more um, demanding presence in the box. So. So again, like objectively speaking, I, I agree with Fulvio. Uh, if we are to at all uh, have any Champions League uh, get out of the group aspirations or like present ourselves well in, in quite a tough group, then maybe the three-man defense, as probably has been the case, uh, which is uh, Spalletti has been planning for a while, is, is probably more apt for for Europe. But then the four the four-man defense. Or the Serie A seems to be a, 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 a better way of lining up against these sides to just sit back and you know build a wall and that's it. Hmm. Will, Will, where are you on this? Well, I don't, I don't really have a preference between three and four in principle. You know, I think the the the, the, the task of any coach is to get the best out of the group of players that he has. So you know, there'll be some squads that are better suited to playing with the three. There's some suits, some squads that are better suited to playing with the four. Um, and I think another thing you need to say is that, you know, the, the, the kind of looking at football in terms of numbers is kind of getting ever less sort of, um, it's, it's coming a bit more irrelevant because it's the space and the movement that, that really matters. It's the timing with which you you move, it, you know, there are teams that start with one and then we'll do another in the second half. There's, there's teams that play a four when they attack and then a three when they defend. So it's never, it's it's difficult really to make these kind of a sort of sweeping conclusions. But as far as Inter, would, I, I would say that um, we have the players to do both. So the fact that we're not entirely sure is not necessarily a bad thing. 
um, because it can also surprise opponents. You know, if you're, I was, I was listening to Di Francesco the other day, and you know, Roma are not doing very well at the moment, but he said that, you know, the, the ability to change system is a sign of, you know, intelligence. It's, it's a good thing. It's a sign of versatility. So I, I, think, I think we'll see both. Um, but I think the one problem that you can have with a back three is that it takes quite a long time to, to coach, I think more than a back four, because you've got to get the transition between kind of back three, back five sort of sorted out. And so that requires, you know, that requires time. And we're not going to have a huge amount of time this year, given that we're playing every Tuesday and Wednesday in the Champions League now. So I think Spalletti will be a bit disappointed that he hasn't had, uh, for instance, Nainggolan um, and a couple of other players sort of fully fit all the way through pre-season, because I think otherwise it would have been a bit easier to see us play with a back three. Because it's kind of, you know, if you don't sort of get the the shuffling and the, um, the movements right, you can very quickly become a five and then you never get up the pitch. So I, th- I think it's a little bit more intricate, but in theory, I, I like both. You know, I think the, the, the other problem with the back three is that um, you do slightly um, weaken Perisic's powers on the left because he can play a wing back, he can play in the, you know, the two number 10s behind Icardi, but that's not where he, he does his best stuff. Um, but on the other hand, if you play with this sort of 3-4-2-1 sorry, that Spalletti used so much at Roma, then you can maybe have Lautaro and Nangolan together, which is a bit harder when you play with the, with the two wingers and, and then a man behind Icardi. So, you know, it kind of goes back to what I said before, when I was, the question that I, was, I posed to Marco, you know, there's a lot of options this year. Um, I'm not sure what the best one is because we haven't seen, you know, we haven't had, there hasn't been a period yet um, this season that everyone has been ready. Sorry? It's a small sample size anyway to, to, to judge from so far. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, yeah, so we've only had, we only had three games and a handful of pre-season matches. So I, I don't know. I, I think we'll see both. Um, but I, the, the going with a back four, while you're not necessarily up to speed with how a back three should be played, I think sounds like a good idea. So if you're asking me the Parma match, maybe we should go with a four. But I, I don't have a huge opinion on this. I, th- I don't think it makes a massive difference. Wise. You know, remember last year, the last sort of two months of the season, we played with the back three a lot of the time, with Cancelo kind of moving wide. So Yeah, yeah, right, right. And many people didn't know about that, actually. I, I did is, a... For, me, for yeah. me, it's a bit different. For me, it's like this. Look, it's one thing when you start with a back four and then you sink into a back three like we did last season with Cancelo becoming a wing back and D'Ambrosio cutting in from the left centrally and forming a three-man defence. That's something different that just falls naturally. Similarly to when Inter under Jose Mourinho had Maicon on the right side, Gallo panting down the right, and Kivu who dropped deeper. That's fine. But I just feel that this Inter side, given what... What Spalletti himself said after Torino and what he said after Spalletti, uh, after Sassuolo, that this Inter side is a side that, you know, that that has some sort of mental weakness that they fall back into, uh, into into mistakes they made last year and, and, and weaknesses they, they they had last year, which he thought they had overcome. He said that uh, going in in a press conference going into this uh, Bologna game. I think a root of that has to do with insecurity. And I think playing with a back four is gives a sense of security to this team. And I think playing for them to for Spalletti to start experimenting and moving to a back three this early on in the season mm-hmm. with so with so many new with so many new um, uh, new players in this team, I think that's a mistake. I think that I, I think playing with a three man defence moving on is moving forward after a few months when everyone is settled and gelled together, and especially in the Champions League. When, when you play against teams that will attack you more and open up more, I think that's where it might become much more useful. But in the Serie A, given how every team except for Roma, Juve uh, and, and Lazio will, will, will defend against us, I think playing with a back four gives this team a sort of te- tactical and a, a mental um, cool and calmness and security. And that's why I prefer the, the four-man defence in the Serie A. Right. Um, let's uh, let's. We're talking about the Champions League, and I'm pretty curious to hear what you guys think of uh, the different games. I mean, personally, when I was looking through the games, I was thinking six points against PSV, a win at home against Tottenham, a draw away uh, against Tottenham at Wembley, 
And then maybe if we're lucky, get a point against Barcelona. That should be enough to get second place. Um, how do you feel, Fulvio, about the Champions League draw? Do you think, I mean, how big are Inter's chances of going through? Uh, well, uh, I think that uh, it's a fair draw if you if you think that uh, Inter was in, in the fourth spot and there's uh, something average when you are when you are in the um, in the in the fourth spot. Um, so um, I think that uh, the chances are not so high, but uh, even not so low. Um, I think that uh, uh, it's uh, crucial to um, the, the start is crucial because in the start you have Tottenham home. And you have PSV and Oven away. So that means that you need to aim for the victory in both games because after that, uh, Barcelona will be tough. Um, I don't know, actually, in San Siro, if, um, if, we, if we are already, already go settled for, for, for a defeat. I don't think so. But I'm not expecting something, something different from a defeat in the, um, uh, in, the, in the Barcelona away match in Camp Nou. And by the way, do you know, guys? You probably know, but do you do you remember that the Barcelona away match comes in the in the middle of the derby and the away game match with Lazio? Yes, yes, I have yeah. seen. I have noticed this. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and the match also comes four days before El Clasico for Barcelona. Yeah, yeah, right, right. <laughs> So, so really tough, and that means that practically you need to go in Barcelona for the match day five uh, and uh, match day four. Sorry, you need to go there at least with, uh, uh, I think, at least seven points, uh, because I think that is very tough to um, uh, to have a positive result uh, in Wembley, and after that uh, you have PSV and Doven uh, in San Siro, but it's the last match. So in the last match, probably the, the tables are, are already already made. So um, I think it is crucial that uh, you win with Tottenham and try, to, or at least try to win against Tottenham, and definitely need to win in in the Netherlands. And uh, after that, you're gonna see. Um, but uh, actually, the sens- my sensation are uh, pretty good because uh, I don't think there is nothing to lose. I think that the Champions League of this year uh, is for Inter to get used to this kind of matches, because if if you think about it, not a lot of the um, of the um, of our players are 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 used to to play this kind of match. So we need to get used to that. And after that, we're gonna see if we can if we can uh, if we can go ahead. You can you can um, you can. Um, uh, go with a third place, uh, and after that, try to to understand if you have some uh, some chances into the um, into the Europa League. That is uh, something something that we can consider. But uh, I think that Inter should aim for the um, uh, for the knockout for the knockout stage. And I think that uh, Tottenham is more worried than Inter at the moment uh, because uh, for Inter was uh, practically take for granted to to find a big team into the second tier. In the, uh, sorry, into the second pot. But for Tottenham was definitely not granted to take a big team into the fourth pot. So I think that uh, the, the, the draw was unlucky for Tottenham especially and not for Inter. Hmm, interesting point. Uh, Mo, uh, what do you think? Uh, how big do you think Inter's chances are? I mean, from a... You don't have to give a percentage-wise, but I mean, what do you say? I, I really like uh, what Fulvio just said uh, about Tottenham. Should, like, they're, they're definitely sweating more than we are about the draw. Look, I, I, I look at the draw and I think, you know what, you're in the Champions fucking League, you know? So if you're in the Champions League, you're in the Champions League, you're playing these, you, you must be playing these teams. And, and we, I, I'm not so concerned about Tottenham. We've seen uh, English teams, you know, the stress and the strain of the premiership is so tough on these guys that it's difficult for them to, to maintain focus. And, and we also know that Tottenham have a particularly, um, their, their squad isn't very deep. So I, I think, you know, Tottenham are, in terms of like players and, and, and level of, of quality in the squad are pretty much on par with Inter. The only difference is that Tottenham are maybe two or three years ahead in their cycle than, than, than we are in ours. So they are definitely more likely to qualify in second than we are. However, that being said, that doesn't mean that we can't. So I'd say maybe our chances are just under about 50-50, you know, maybe like 45, 55, 40, 60. 
But we definitely have a good shot at, uh, at getting out of the group, and we should have a, ha have a crack at it because, you know, it, it's it's we're, we're Inter, you know, we're Inter, and we've been playing below our below our potential for for a couple of years now at least, and hopefully, if if everybody gets their head in the right place, this squad can really express itself properly in Europe, away from the stress and. You know, the, like you say, the anti-Juve headlines, the Gazetta this, the Corriere that, whatever, you know, like, um, and, and, and hopefully uh, play with, with, with no pressure. And if that's the case, then we have a good shot at, uh, good shot at uh, getting out of the group. Uh, Nima, may I, may I add something? Go, go, go. to Will. Yes, I just want to add, because I forgot that. So I, just, I just want to add that I'm really glad that we were not put into the Group D with uh, Lokomotiv Moscow, uh, Porto, and Schalke. Um, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Of course, the easiest, of course, is the easiest group of the Champions League, uh, the less quality group of the Champions League. But uh, this is something that can twist for Inter. Uh, so, first, uh, the, the first reason is this: is that uh, the more easy is the group for Inter, and the less are the chances uh, to go ahead for Inter. <laughs> And the second, uh, I'm glad uh, to to have avoided um, the German side Schalke because Schalke is a bloody nightmare for Inter since 20 years. Yep, agreed. I remember the UEFA Cup final, and so do you. And we also remember the Champions League. Yeah, Schalke. Schalke is our European uh, Torino and Sassuolo for us. It's in, yeah. in, in Europe. It's like that. Uh, Will, um, before I let you ask, I, I want you to analyze the group. I want to say, I want to, I want to ask you, given what happened in the summer. How much, like, how big are the chances that when we play Barcelona, Malcolm and Vidal will score two goals each and we'll lose 4 0? <laughs> what about Rafinha? What about Rafinha scoring yeah, a winning goal? Of course. I mean, Rafinha, Vidal, and. Uh, and uh, Malcolm. Yeah, Malcolm can, I, can I raise the stakes, Nima? Go for it, raise them. You know who signed for PSV this summer? Yes. <laughs> That's the nightmare we need to watch out for. Sure, Trent sure. Sainsbury has signed for PSV this summer. So if anyone's going yeah. to... If there's, a, there's, a, if there's an X or a near miss <laughs> in the Mercato that's going to castigate us, it will be him. It'll be the kangaroo. It'll be our kangaroo. <laughs> he'll, he'll, he'll score the winner that knocks Inter out of the Champions League. No, but I mean, uh, what, what, what do you... Just really quickly there, Will. What, how do you see this group? Are you, are you like Fulvio? Did you also want to avoid group, that group? Or are you happy with the draw? What are you looking no, I'd be lying if I said that when, when we got to the pot four draw, I wasn't looking at Group D thinking, hmm, that might be quite nice. But it is absolutely the case that I, I completely agree with what Fulvio said about the easier the draw, that, that, you know, the, the riskier it is for Inter, because, you know, we have something to lose in that group. We don't have anything to lose in this group, really. You know, obviously, yeah. we, could, we could lose 6-0 at the Camp Nou, and that would be not very nice. But if we didn't go through, that's kind of what most people have expected. Um, and we thrive when we're the underdog. You know, look at the last game of last season. That was the perfect... Oh, I, I keep thinking that was possibly the only way we could have finished fourth. We had to concoct this sort of yeah. final day scenario where we we were in it, but we were up against it. It was just... It's like this sort of one in a million circumstance that got us in. Um, but that's another matter. Um, I, we don't have a great chance, but I don't think anyone is unbeatable at San Siro. Um, I don't rate Barcelona. This three years they've gone out in the quarterfinals and they are becoming ever more dependent on Messi. And obviously, if you've got Messi, that's not such a problem. But um, I think they're beatable. They're a pretty normal side now in terms of Europe's elite. Um, yeah, I mean, we don't have any long away trips. That's good. You know, Roma have got to go to Moscow, I think, which which could be a problem in terms of league matches. Um, my you know, we've got nothing to lose. Let's just let's just do it. You know, it's the Champions Great. League. It's not, I like that. It's not, I like that. I like that. Let's it's just the do Champions it. League. It's, it's not a sand yeah. pit. You no, have no. to play the big boys. <laughs> That's true. I like it. I like it. Great. That's awesome. Right. Um, uh, I just uh, the, 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 uh, let's move on to something that maybe not as not as positive, but this is something that I've been dreading to talk about on Studio Inter, and I've actually avoided talking about it on Studio Inter, but. It seems that this is one of those, this is the monster that unless you talk about it, it just doesn't go away. Because the ogre himself, Luciano Mochi, refuses to shut up and, and peddles these lies uh, about Calciopoli. Now he went out recently talking about how, um, you know, uh, Juventus should never have pleaded guilty. They should have fought this because blah, blah, blah. I mean, Fulvio, as, you know, before we get into the facts and all that, just briefly... 
how do you keep your head from exploding whenever that man opens his mouth and peddles a bunch of bullshit and lies? And all the Juventino who, all the, all the Juventini and all the ignorant people out there who think they're Perry Mason because they watched Matlock with their grandmothers think they understand Ima? the law. Uh, yes, first let me uh, let me say that uh, being Italian, I know this kind of uh, of dynamic, and uh, the fact is that uh, in the Italian culture, the the fact is that uh, when something is guilty, and um, you know that mm, some people want not to be guilty, uh, the the theory is that uh, all all are guilty, so equals uh, nobody is guilty. Practically, this is exactly. the culture exactly. in the background. Exactly. Yeah, but it's something that happens. Uh, it happens in all um, in all, all the things that uh, spread the news in um, in Italy. Practically, uh, so it's something that is very eradicated into into our culture, unfortunately. Um, so about about the story, I think there's not so much to add because uh, the story for me was closed uh, 12 years ago and was closed when uh, when Juventus uh, go and. Uh, Propose uh, something that uh, uh, practically they accept to be guilty to not to to not have a worse um, a worse punishment than the Serie B. And uh, I think that uh, when Juventus uh, uh, was uh, when Juventus acted like that, the story was finished. So the point is that uh, um, Moji is like uh, it's something that uh, um, could um, could raise the business uh, of the newspapers, of course. Like when you have a murderer, and uh, you know, <laughs> it's it's the same thing, right? When you have a murderer, uh, the the people are really passionate about the story, and so you try to to to, to bring up the story more and more to have uh, also this um, this uh, to, to to make your business practically, and I think that's the strategy. Um, so I don't know, guys, if you last week talk about what happens uh, in the northern Italy uh, two weeks ago with Moji. And uh, if you didn't talk about it, I can just make a quick go recap. For because go for it, go for it, go for it. Yeah, so practically uh, this, this, uh, this happens in the northern Italy, in the city of Rovigo, that is uh, located in the northeast of Italy. Uh, so that uh, so happened that, uh, uh, I think it was the 22nd of August or something like that, uh, Moji was invited to talk into a public square in this, uh, in this, in this in little city, that is Rovigo, um, to talk about sports. Right, so it was uh, Rovigo Sports Festival, and Moji was invited to talk. So um, uh, I, uh, the, the story was actually spread uh, thanks to two people. Um, once, uh, one is uh, Mr. Ivan Grozny, that is a uh, is a journalist, and uh, is an inter supporter, of course, but is a journalist and was interested to make Moji some questions about uh, um, right something contradictory, right? Because uh, the impression in the square that was that. Uh, Moji um, can make some uh, some monologue without uh, any anyone to, to, to tell him anything about any about any any topic. So, um, Mr. Grosny make uh, make this uh, kind of uh, uncomfortable question, and uh, in the meantime, uh, supporters of Inter uh, that is um, fairly known on Twitter um, filming all the all the stuff and to spread the story on the Twitter. So. This explodes when um, uh, when the supporters, uh, the supporter, um, uh, write to the to the Olympic Committee, the Italian Olympic Comi Committee on Twitter, because uh, in the um, um, you know in the headline of the event there was written that uh, the Olympic Committee was sponsoring the event, and um, and so this supporter write to the write to the Olympic Committee that is named Connie in Italy. Uh, hey guys, you know that this uh, that this, some that this is happening, and uh, um, the Olympic Committee say no, we didn't know anything, and we are very angry about this. So now there's some uh, dispute with the um, uh, with the with the city of Rovigo. They want to the, the Olympic Committee wants to sue the city of Rovigo for using the name and something like that. So it was very spread. But uh, the most interesting thing of this story is when this story spread. The first thing that happened was the, that the second, I think, second or third uh, sports newspaper in Italy, which is called Corriere dello Sport, um, makes a, um, an exclusive interview with Moji and put it into the headline. And so that's, that means that when Moji, for some kind of reason, um, is, uh, is bring up into the, into the news, uh, all the newspapers try to, um, try to get advantage of this. 
right? And this is something that should not be happening, but it's uh, it's it, it continued to to happening uh, a lot of times in the last twelve years, and that's why that's that's or, or at least that's some some of the of the reason because this Calciopoli story will never end because. Because it's business practically, yeah, I, right? You're absolutely right about that. But as a, as a, as a person who has a background in law, uh, this pisses me off. I completely respect what you say about this being an Italian culture thing. Either, either everyone's guilty or everyone's innocent. And that's, that's completely true. And, and you're absolutely right. That's an aspect of Italy that, that is quite horrible, to be honest. And, I, and it's one of those aspects that holds Italy back as a society. In the sense that you know, either we're all guilty or we're all innocent. That kind of uh, that kind of dynamic, like you said. For me, it's very simple. Um, Inter were never prosecuted, were never tried and prosecuted of any any wrongdoing. The phone conversations where Facchetti spoke to uh, the Italian uh, referees association, uh, Bergamo, the president of that. Those were listened to, the, 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 both the police and the prosecution in the first case against Juventus heard about it, decided that there was nothing there, and therefore they didn't go on, continue to, to, to raise any uh, legal proceedings against Inter. This is, this is, these are facts. This is not something I'm pulling out of my ass. This is something that is, is, is documented. It's police documents. It's court documents. So... What happened is that when Moji, after Moji pleads guilty, after all of them plead guilty, Moji decides to fight this, and in the court of law, he raises these com this, this conversation, uh, this, these, these so-called new evidences. And the district attorney, or the prosecutor, Stefano Palazzi, he based, has a different opinion, legal opinion, than the previous one in the first trial, and thinks that, yes, there should be an inv investigation against Inter as well. Now, because of the statute of limitations concerning this, these crimes, this was never raised into court. But statute of limitations means simply, uh, does not, you know, th th that doesn't mean that Inter were guilty or they, they were hid behind a legal technicality. No, the prosecution and the police had all of this evidence in front of them. They decided not to press charges against Inter based on it because there was nothing there. Moji's own... Uh, expert testified in that second trial saying that uh, Facchetti is not the one saying give me uh, Colina or whoever it is he names. He actually says it's Bergamo who mentions Colina's name. So therefore the whole thing is just a complete nothing burger. It's an utter disgrace that 10 years after, 12 years after Facchetti's death, a man who was known for his integrity, for fair play, that they keep dragging a dead man's name through the mud because in order to, to, to protect themselves, it's disgraceful, it's utterly disgusting. And I don't want to talk about it again because, as you said, Fulvio, so correctly, they, had, they pleaded guilty and they were, they were sentenced for it. So there's no need to continue talking about it. Yeah, right. But at the bottom of this, just let me add, then we go to the others. But at the bottom of this, just let me add that uh, um, this, in this story, it's very difficult to have a fair judgment because, um, because we're talking about supporters, right? So happens, it, it happens all the time that uh, when, a, when a team is, uh, pleaded, is guilty for something, um, it's, uh, the, the supporters is not accepting that. So start, or at least the Italian supporters, I don't know in, in other parts of the world, but they start to say there's a plot against us. Uh, they want to, the, the, we, we are annoying to some people. So some people want to take us down and something like that. So it happens for Juventus, for this, for this Calciopoli story, but it happens also for the Milan supporters. Uh, when the, when was that, the, that Young Gong Lee story with the sentence of the, um, of the UEFA about the, 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 about Milan to be disqualified. Uh, and that happens also to Inter supporters uh, in, the first, uh, in the first agreement with the financial for play. So it's, uh, it's very difficult to have a fair judgment. It, it, it's like when you judge a penalty, right? A penalty is not, is not a penalty for all the parts. If, if, a pen, if it's a penalty for your, for your team, uh, you accept that and you say, yes, it was clear. But uh, if it's a penalty against your team and it's the same, uh, you say practically uh, it, this is not clear. This is something that could happen, and uh, there, were, there was no balance uh, on the um, on, on on the episode for our team, and it's something like that. So it's it's really difficult, probably impossible, to have a fair judgment by the supporters, and it's, it's probably something that will never be settled for this reason. Probably, probably. 
Right. Um, I don't think Mo and Will would want to talk about this because I know I don't even like, I don't know anyone likes to talk about this. Let's move on to the part of the show where we pay tribute as well as rip the piss out of something or someone in the world of football. Starting with the uh, with the uh, uh, Moji of the Week, which will be presented by Mr. Fulvio Santucci. So here we go with uh, our worst story of the week, and uh, it comes from Italy. It comes from the Serie B. Uh, it's the second tier of Italian football, if you don't know. But uh, if you have Mr. Will Beckman, which, which is very uh, passionate about this, you should know. Uh, so um, some uh, be- before before starting the story, a quick background of the situation because it was a very tough summer for the for the Serie B. Uh, the Serie B last year was uh, composed by 22 teams. And this year is composed by 19 teams. And uh, this uh, happened because the three teams went bankruptcy or uh, didn't uh, meet the requirements uh, uh, to, be, to be in this, um, in this championship this year. And so that was some um, difficult decision uh, and uh, some, uh, some teams that uh, were included at, uh, in the first place. Uh, for example, Catania was included in the first place and had a party with that. But after that, uh, the, um, uh, the decision was to, to not include Catania and to not include any other teams and to go with 19 teams. So something, something very confusing, actually. So in this situation, the, the Serie B championship uh, um, began last week. But uh, into the second, um, into the second um, match day of the, of the Serie B, that was the, um, uh, the match uh, uh, that for, for, the, for the two teams, Cosenza versus Verona. Cosenza is a team from uh, southern Italy, Calabria, and uh, come back to the Serie B after uh, 15 years. And um, what happened? Practically, the game was awarded to Verona by forfait. And uh, this, is, this happened because uh, the, the pitch of, the, um, of Cosenza was not regular, according to the, um, to the referee. So could you imagine that, uh, um, um, yeah, first of all, our Serie B team, which is a professional team, is not able to guarantee a pitch, and this is this is very disgraceful in the first place. But uh, um, that was also the the worst part of the story. That was this uh, ten thousand people, ten thousand Cosenza supporters, that were very excited about uh, about their team to come back to the to the to the Serie B after fifteen years. That practically wait outside the um, outside the stadium for uh, more than one hour uh, without any kind of communication. And also, um, we can uh, also we can we can mention the uh, I think 90, 90, 90 supporters of Verona that travel, and uh, I I can assure you that it's a very long travel from Verona to Cosenza, like one thousand kilometers or something like that. And uh, after that, uh, the referee um, the referee decided that uh, the match cannot be playing. But um, another worst part came when the images were spreaded uh, throughout the web. Because you can see that uh, the pitch was actually uh, not green, but brown, really brown. The line were not were the, the, the line of, of the of the pitch were not uh, were not done practically. So practically a pitch without the line. And the bench also is not is not your your usual kind of bench because the chair was practically the plastic chair that you can find into a canteen or something like that. <laughs> uh, so yes, was was very dis- was very disgraceful. So. I think that uh, this is something that could not happen into the into the Italian football, and um, and this is something that should be settled. Also, the mayor of the city, Cosenza, um, was um, uh, yes was interviewed about this and said uh, once again, Mima, there's a plot against us because uh, yeah, really, really, it really happened. There's a plot against us because uh, the inspector of the um, of the of the championship uh, went here for uh, 10 or 12, uh, 12 times and also uh, gave positive uh, positive feedback. Uh, so I have the and this is this are the mayor words. I have the I have the impression that uh, there was a plot against us. I have the impression that uh, Verona wants to be awarded by forfeit the match since the beginning or something like that. But actually, uh, Cosenza citizen and Cosenza supporters uh, did not believe him and uh, start to make a shitstorm practically on the social <laughs> network yeah, by saying you're disgraceful, uh, it's a shame, uh, and so on and so forth. So 
I think that uh, this is uh, this is a very uh, this is an incredibly disgraceful story and uh, uh, fairly fairly award uh, uh, sorry fairly deserve the our emoji of the week. Indeed, wow, that's uh, that's unbelievable. Right, um, let's. We should talk on. about we should talk about Bologna's pitch as well. I mean, yeah. this is just a yeah. sense of problem. I mean, Italy, you know, the the, the media have really been hammering home this Serie A is back. Uh, line yeah. throughout the summer, but there is no infrastructure in this country. I mean, you the pitches and the stadiums, they are humiliating for us for a league that thinks it's one of the best five in the world. I mean, there's Agreed. so much work Agreed. still to do. Agreed, 100%. And, and, actually, and actually, another match in Serie B. Was, yeah, I was going to say Lecce. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. the one early in the week that was more likely to be to be called off, I think, and then it ended up going the other way around. But there was no difference between the pitches and what I saw. It was, it's just, it, I mean... Let, let's. I'm going to go mad. So let's so, just go so, on. So, solo in Italia. <laughs> yeah. Uh, only in Italy. Right. Um, it's part of the charm and it's part of the curse. Right. Um, let's move on to uh, something slightly more uh, comedic or embarrassing, depending on who you ask. This week's uh, frog, which will be presented by Mr. Will Beckman. Yeah, and this week I thought we'd go back to the the origins of of the frog because you know. The frog is uh, came from the uh, the strange happenings that occurred to Andrea Ranocchia on the on the pitch four or five years ago when he would um, he'd do something thinking he was Superman and end up looking like a complete idiot. So um, the the this is very much true to that particular that kind of uh, that. Uh, the, the, the reasons why this prestigious award was brought in. And so um, this week's award, I thought, needed to go to uh, the man that one uh, tabloid quite uh, fittingly described as Alice in Blunderland. Um, <laughs> because uh, I think Alison is one of the best keepers in the world. We all saw it last year. We've seen that Roma, Roma fans are already a bit, already missing him. Uh, they're not entirely convinced by the, the guy they brought in to replace him. So this is not a judgment on him as a keeper. But uh, I think for the first time since he came from Brazil, he has been caught out with one of these fancy tricks that he does inside his own box. And it looked pretty terrible because um, he, he did this a lot in Italy, but he never seemed to get away with it. He'd be flicking the ball around with his foot. He'd be sort of doing back heels, rabonas, all this kind of stuff. And it would it would seem brilliant. It would he'd be the samba star. It was it was fun. But he, he finally got found out this weekend. Liverpool playing Leicester. And he had the ball. He could have done one of 3,000 things, but he chose to try dribble and, and he got caught out and, uh, and Leicester scored. Fortunately, it didn't cost Liverpool because they won. But uh, I think Alisson was very, very close to... He, he must have had this award at heart because up until then, I was, I was not sure who to give it to. But I think in doubt, you have to go back to your roots. So <laughs> Alisson Blunderland is this week's frog. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Right, let's move on to something slightly more positive. This week's Morati, which will be presented by Mr. Mohamed Nassar. Oh my God, he is beautiful! He is beautiful, yeah! So, uh, guys, two weeks uh, worth of episodes, so two uh, Moratis this week, I guess. <laughs> the first is um, watching the Champions League draw. Uh, with Inter in it. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, yeah, 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 every yeah. fucking year it comes and we're like sitting down and, you know, everyone texts you, oh, do you see this? Do you see that? And like, yeah, yeah, you know, you don't give a shit because it's, uh, you know, Napoli, Roma, whatever. And this year, immediately after the draw finished, I got like maybe 15 WhatsApp messages from different friends from all over the world, you know, like, oh man, Inter is so screwed or whatever. Like, how do you think about the group? And it's just so nice to actually be involved. In the same year, you know, like Egypt got into the World Cup as well, so we were actually involved in that. So getting that that feeling twice in one year was was, was super fantastic. So one one of my definite highlights in the last, past two weeks was the Champions League draw, sitting up, not, not sitting up late because it was it was uh, at a fairly reasonable time for us here, but waiting for it and 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 following it with uh, with a lot of uh, vested interest. The other Marathi of the week has to be given to uh, the ninja. You know, uh, we spoke about him earlier with uh, Marco uh, Palmieri earlier when we when we dissected the Bologna match. Um, a lot has been said by people here and there. You know, uh, I, I, I know. You know, 
you know, he, he's at 30, he's an old 30, he's a young 30, he's, he's coming off one of his worst seasons, he's been injured with a muscular problem almost practically all of preseason, is he a dud, blah, 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 you know, okay, so he came off injured, but in those 79 minutes, I think it was, that he played, uh, we, saw, we saw that there's absolutely no way this guy is not going to have a top night. If he stays fit, it's not going to be the, 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 the difference maker for the squad throughout the season. So, um, for, for, for coming out of the Bologna game for this week, it's definitely got to be uh, Nangolan. Here, here. I, I do hope that we fare slightly better in the Champions League than Egypt did in the World Cup. That's the only thing I'd say. I'm wrong <laughs> about your comparison. Yeah, no, no, I know. The comparison would be if Nangolan got injured on the eve of the Tottenham match on the first week. Well, well look, I mean, you know, we, we go into the Champions League with Inter's reputation on our backs, but we enter into the World Cup with Egypt's reputation anyway, so... <laughs> okay. Right, um, that was uh, all we had time for this week. I'd like to thank Marco Palmieri. Uh, Will, thanks for coming on again. Sorry, yes, thank you. Uh, see you soon. Have a nice week, everyone. Um, and thank you, Mo. Always a pleasure, guys. Uh, yeah, and thank, thank you. And thank you, Fulvio. Thank you, guys. It was really, really good to be here, and uh, I hope to come back soon. Well, uh, until next week, don't forget to, because this show is now also available on YouTube, don't forget to give us uh, five stars on iTunes or wherever you download us from. Click the subscribe. Um, and until next week, next week, my name is Nima Tavali-Ruzzeri, wishing you all a good week. And sempre e solo, Forza Inter. <laughs>